I expect an appropriate response when I say this. Today is the last week in our series of God's plan for our well-being. So how are you all feeling about that? Any response or do? <laughs> Bored already, it sounds like. Fine. Um, in this series, we covered um, physical uh, well-being. We covered spiritual, emotional, financial, relational well-being. And today we've got, without an R, vocational uh, well-being. And when, many of us, when we think of vocational well-being, we think of uh, paid work. But actually, the word originally comes from a, a Latin root word, and it's got more to do with uh, calling um, than paid work per se. So we are going to include paid work, but we also include things like voluntary work, uh, caring responsibilities. It's essentially about the outputs of your life and what you feel uh, called to do. Okay, because I love a bit of friendly competition. Um, in fact, uh, my, uh, my family life, you could, it could be defined as uh, someone will say a bold statement and then we'll argue about it for the next five minutes. That's a sort of round-the-table conversation. So I want to start this preach with exactly that. I'm going to say a bold statement and then we'll argue about it for five minutes. The bold statement is this. I reckon I have worked in more places than anyone else at Grace Church. Bold statement, hey? For those of you who uh, maybe are newer to Grace Church, you'll be looking at me and thinking, Ben, you don't look a day over 25. How is that possible? <laughs> well, let me tell you my list, okay? And genuinely, if you feel you have worked in more places than me, drop me a little message and I will buy you a gift during the week. Drop me an email. So we'll see how it goes. Okay, so this is, this is my list. My first job as a 14-year-old was a golf range maintenance person. That sounds very technical, but what it involved was me climbing up two stories on top of a roof, dandling over the edge and shaking some pipes, which golf uh, balls used to go down to make sure they didn't get blocked. Health and safety was different back in the day. Uh, then I was a cleaner. Um, this next job, Emily didn't want me to mention, but I'm mentioning it, mentioning it anyway. I was a life model um, with my clothes on. But the connotations, I think Emily was like, don't go there, you'll never get it back. Um, I was a film extra in the film Wimbledon. Um, there you go. Uh, it's rubbish film. Painter and decorator, short film score writer, DJ, club night organizer, dance music review journalist. Uh, yeah, we set up our own website. Um, uh, Mongolian barbecue and cocktail bar waiter. Um, I did multiple sales jobs, including selling mouth freshener, uh, expensive home accessories, toilet rolls, gas and electricity, air compressors, and cars. I've been a, a voluntary youth worker in a couple of different church settings. I've been a customer services executive, a meter reader, an estate agent, a strawberry picker, a data entry monkey. Uh, I've worked in my own school canteen on the till. And um, during that time, my mates used to readily try and steal sausage rolls. As they, as if they saw me on the till, try and walk past me. There was a dilemma there. Um, what else have I done? I've uh, worked on a car assembly line in IT support. I've been a trainee accountant, and I've been a, a marketing graduate for Land Rover. So that takes us up to 2007. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Thankfully, since 2007, I've only worked in two roles. Um, the first one was for a company called Ingius, uh, where I was a career advisor, working with the long-term unemployed and supporting them into work. And um, in that role, I, after a while, I became a manager, then an area manager. Um, and during that time as well, I went down to four days a week. We had um, three very young kids at the time, so one of my days a week was looking after them. And then in 2015, I became a church pastor at Grace Church. So that is my word history. <laughs> Sam, you didn't need to, but thanks, mate. <laughs> mm. So that's my word history. And the reality is, all of us, over the course of our lives, will each spend an extensive period of time working, won't we, in, in different contexts. The, the, the stats say it'll be about 90,000 hours working, approximately a third of our lives. Now, this might be as a student, might be as a stay-at-home mum and dad, it might be in a voluntary or paid uh, setting, but work in all of its forms forms a huge part of our lives. So it's really important that we understand God's perspective on work. You know, the theology of work, if you like. You know, how are we to view our vocation and our calling? Well, if you look at the Bible, right at the start of the Bible, we see God at work. It says that the earth was formless and void, and then God created and he shaped the world and everything in it. And then he declared it good. He declared humans very good. And he took the day off working. He didn't need the rest, but right from the start, he was essentially uh, demonstrating that work and rest, work and rest, they form part of the natural rhythms of life. It's, it's an oversimplistic view, but nevertheless, it's helpful to look at this narrative right at the start of Genesis and uh, see that God is, in a sense, modeling to us what a helpful and a healthy work-life balance looks like. So then we are going to pick things up in Genesis 1, verse 27 and 28. And this is where God commissions humanity. So turn with me in your Bibles to this. It says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in chapter 2, verse 15, moving on there, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So just as God worked and rested... Adam and Eve, they're also commissioned to work and to rest. So what did that commission look like? Well, God delegated and commissioned Adam and Eve to create and to shape, to create and shape, just like he does. We are made in his own image. They're made in his own image, in Imago Dei, and there was a calling on their lives to be good stewards of the garden by working and tending to it, to being, be fruitful and to multiply, and this bit's really fascinating. This commissioning happened b 
before the fall. So it happened before sin had entered the garden. So at this point, Eden was paradise, and yet Adam and Eve were called to work in paradise. Would you put those two things together, paradise and work? I would think of them often as mutually exclusive, but it's clear they're together. God has other ideas. However, this perfect paradise picture with Adam and Eve creating in the garden through their calling to work in perfect relationship with God himself, it quickly breaks down. And this happened because Adam and Eve believed the lie from Satan that they don't need God that they can know everything, they can be masters of their own destiny, they can worship themselves and their achievements rather than God himself. This was at the core of the rotten fruit that Satan was serving them. So for Adam and Eve and subsequent generations, this commissioning to their life's work to create and shape, from that point onwards, it essentially got stewed, it got messed up. It got warped. So rather than our work being an act of worship to God, work often became self-focused, cursed, and brutal. We read about this, don't we, throughout the whole of the Old Testament. You know, hard toil and mass slavery. Suffering and sin dominated. Why? Because people fought for power instead of using their, uh, their skills and their giftings, using their vocation to create beauty in order to bring glory to God. This, in, in a sense, created this rinse and repeat cycle of people using their God-given creativity, their gifts and their talents not to bring God glory, but instead to create and shape idols for themselves to worship. And now it's through this cracked lens that we all see work day by day by day. It's the reason why when we go to work, it's often hard. There's office politics, there's gossip, there's unreasonable and inconsistent bosses. I was expecting an amen there at one point. I'm sure, sure you can feel it. For many, work itself becomes the idol which people end up worshipping, doesn't it? Something that ends up, we give our lives to and it consumes our lives. For others, work just feels like a thankless, monotonous, boring task that we have to go through. So all of this means it's hard to see how work and paradise actually go together. To illustrate to illustrate this point further, there's no other religion or philosophical way of thinking that includes work as part of the afterlife or as part of some sort of uh, perfect scenario. So, for example, the ancient Greeks, they saw work as a curse, and they're half right because work was cursed after the fall. In Islam, uh, paradise is described as a garden for eternal pleasure, and we Christians, we believe that it is a garden full of pleasure. But Christianity also states that work, your vocation to create and shape to the glory of God, is what we are called to do in paradise. Old Testament scholar H.C. Leopold says this, and I think the quotes will come up on the screen. It says, the ideal state of sinless mankind is not one of indolence without responsibility, 
work and duty belong in the perfect state. I had to look at the word indolence. It means uh, lack of activity. So lack of activity is not what paradise is about. Work and duty belong to the perfect state. So how on earth is this possible? Well, dear friends, it's possible because of who we sung about this morning, who we've been worshipping this morning. It's possible because of Jesus, the cross. God created a new people through the cross called the church. Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead three days later, he broke the curse of sin and death. Therefore, because sin and death have been defeated, we are now a people who are able to fully step into the mandate that Adam and Eve were given, to create and shape through our vocation in relationship with and to the glory of God. That's who we are. We are a kingdom people commissioned by God to bring his rule and reign into the, the context we find ourselves in, whatever they may be, by creating and shaping. So God modeled it right at the start. We saw that. Adam and Eve failed to do, do it. But we have been recommissioned to do this by Jesus, and he's given us his spirit enabled for us to be able to succeed. This means that if you are a Christian in the room, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He's helping you. He's sustaining you. He's giving you the strength. If you're not a Christian, if you put your trust in Jesus today, if you put him as the center of your life, if you repent and put him first, you come under his kingdom reign, which means that you are commissioned to do something greater and he'll, he'll help you to every step of the way to be an ambassador for his kingdom. So as we step into our identity as kingdom carriers, as we go about our daily lives, what are we called to do? Well, we're called to declare the good news of who Jesus is. We're called to pray for the sick. We're called to lay down our lives for others, knowing that he has commissioned us to create and shape by bringing beauty and love, bringing God's beauty and love into every situation, into every circumstance. And we begin to fulfill God's mandate in this area as we create music or as we draw or as we pour that perfect V60, or as we welcome people as uh, they come through in, as a security guard, or as we provide wisdom as a financial planner. You create and shape in the way that you seek and look for a job. As a teacher, shaping minds. As a social worker, helping to bring order in, and resources into other people's lives. Students, you have the opportunity to create and shape in a classroom. Parents, you can create and shape to bring up your children into who they're called to be in, in Jesus. A few years ago, as a church, uh, many of you gave so generously um, to an offering that was used to start Revelation Church Manchester. I believe, Phil you, and Judy, you were there on Sunday. I would say it's going well, isn't it? They've seen incredible growth. Would you agree? Yeah. We, got, we got a nod from Phel. Concur. It, 
Yeah, it's absolutely amazing what Dodd's doing there. They're thriving. Um, this offering was also used to, um, to support our dear friends in Malawi, and it was used to set up a new business model um, uh, which would be kingdom-minded and bring hope to many. And uh, this business model, Radiant Cleaners, uh, Grace Enterprises, has actually been featured in a couple of national newspapers over the last couple of weeks. We made the finance section of the Times. Can you, can you believe that? This is the article. On, uh, can you read that? I can't from here. Um, it essentially says this. Um, the Times says, Grace Church is leading the way, having started a cleaning business in the city, that's already turning over £300,000. Um, the article <laughs> then goes on to describe us as a free expression community. Um, what on earth does that mean? You know, Bible-believing community or word and spirit community or people who love Jesus community, great. Free, free expression community. Let's not ever use that terminology. <laughs> um, but anyway, they, they almost got it right. And it's, it's amazing. Um, encouraging other churches to do the same. And then, uh, maybe this is more your jam, we also made the Express um, it was a lot shorter article. Here's a tweet from someone called Matt Bird, uh, who's a social entrepreneur with a picture of the article referencing Grace Church and we're, with an encouragement for other churches to do the same. It's amazing. God is, is using that business. That business is thriving because he's got his hand on it and it really is making a difference in many people's lives. Maybe people who've got multiple barriers to work who are far away from their job's market, having mentoring and support is incredible. And it's happened because of your kingdom-minded generosity, uh, the way in which you love people. It fits in beautifully with things like our 12 o'clock service here um, and um, these sorts of things from a previous role. I know they only work when there's a Jesus-centered community praying for and supporting and encouraging people every step of the way. I'm excited about that. <laughs> so all this means that because of the cross, work in almost all of its forms is redeemed through a newfound inheritance in the kingdom. Okay, so if you know Jesus, if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, then you come under his kingdom rule, which means that you in all of your contexts find yourself as an ambassador for him. Colossians 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. You are called not to work for human masters, but to God himself. So it doesn't matter whether you work for the church. It feels like there's a more obvious link there, but there really isn't. Or whether you work in a coffee shop or for the council or as a carer, Maybe you're a stay-at-home dad. Maybe you're a job seeker or an accountant. Ultimately, as Christians, we all have the same boss, and he's great, and his name is Jesus. We are working to him. So as it says in Ecclesiastes, whatever you find yourself doing, do it with all of your might, because there is no sacred or secular divide when it comes to work. 
as Christians, we are all called to see work as part of our worship. So what does this look like? How, how do we give glory to God through our workplaces or as we care for our children or study at university? How are you called to make your, to make your calling part of your worship to God? Well, in different contexts, I've seen this done so well and I've seen this done really, really badly as well. As an estate agent, you're probably thinking, can anything good come out of being an estate agent? But this is one thing that's good. It's a guy called John. Um, he came to Grace Church, actually, before he moved back down south. And um, he was a Christian. He is a Christian. And he was so diligent. He was hardworking. He didn't get involved in the office politics that were pretty toxic at times in that little family business. And he was inclusive and encouraging of everyone. He brought God's kingdom through his actions. And the atmosphere in that workplace, it changed. It really did change because of him. He created and shaped for the glory of God, and people took note. Sometimes we talk about work solely as a context where we're, you know, we're surrounded by uh, non-Christians, and so it's a great context to invite people uh, to things like our Christmas with these nice flies, and like a massive encouragement for you to do so, like invite people along. It will be a great event, and it's a great opportunity for that. But work is not primarily a place where all we should be doing, the only helpful outworking of our faith is through what we say. Far more important is actually what we do, how we conduct ourselves. That's how we demonstrate um, being good ambassadors for the kingdom. In other circumstances, I've seen uh, Christians who sometimes through divisive comments, sometimes through laziness, sometimes through judgmentalism, just don't create and shape in their work context to the glory of God. So let's be a people who proclaim Jesus with our words and with our actions. Amen? So let's get practical. How do we actually do this? Okay, I've got three uh, quick things that I think are helpful for us. So firstly, we should take this commissioning seriously. You know, if we begin to understand that whatever we do, however we work, in whatever context, we do it ultimately to serve Jesus, that perspective actually changes everything. I'm, I'm here to serve this morning, and one of the things I can do is um, suggest some good Christmas presents. If, if no one has uh, uh, got a Christmas present for, uh, I don't know, a dear uncle, I'm not going to list every family member, um, this book, Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin, is an incredible, apologetic, helpful book. I've loved it. I'm buying it for everyone I know. Um, there you go. So, yeah, great book to read. Um, it's 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. Um, super encouraging. Rebecca McLaughlin, she has a couple of sentences on work, and there's a quote coming up for you now. It says this, Psychological research suggests that we need meaningful work to thrive. If we work just for money, we tend to find it unsatisfying. But if we put our hearts into our work and see it as a calling that resonates with our values, that connects us with people and fits within our larger vision, we experience joy. Well, as Christians, 
we have the best, the most satisfying, the most compelling purpose in history. Isn't that right? We are working for God, commissioned by him to be his ambassadors, to bring his kingdom rule and reign through our thoughts, our actions, and our words. Whatever you put your hand to, it is of incredible significance because you are working for the living God. I'm hoping the silence is just you processing the magnitude of that. I, I think that's, that's amazing. You are working for the living God in whatever you do, however you conduct yourself, in whatever work context. It's wonderful. Yeah, got a murmur of amen from Rosie. Or move on. It was one of the two. <laughs> um, this means that when you go out of your way to encourage a maybe a challenging staff member to come and join you at the lunch conversation, the lunch table, or you give a specific encouragement to someone, you create and you shape in that workplace, and that workplace becomes a little bit more like the kingdom of God. And as you set up an ethical business that uh, pays people the real living wage, then you're honoring people, you're loving people, and that is an act of worship to God. Or as you volunteer your, your time as a school governor, your contribution brings kingdom values to that precious school context. So that's the first one. Take, let's take this commissioning seriously. Secondly, your identity is not your work. It's <clears throat> not easy to consistently work in this way is because, let's face it, there are powers and principalities at work operating in our workplaces that make work exhausting. Work is tiring sometimes. And one of the biggest challenges I've found is when I have been under a really inconsistent boss. You know, I had one who one minute um, would, would give me so much praise, me and my team, and we would be sort of uh, drawn up as an example. And then maybe after a directive from her boss, things would change. And sometimes it felt like just being a tat in the situation. So there would be this sort of flip-flopping. And this sort of thing was painful. But over the years, it has taught me to decouple my view of myself and how I, th how I feel things are going with how my work is going. 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 3 and 4 essentially encourages us that let's not be puffed up or deflated by people's words, but let's instead be filled up by the Holy Spirit. Because you, 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 we all are first and foremost blood-bought children of the Most High. Our identity is not primarily as a job seeker or a mother or a doctor. Our identity primarily is in Jesus. And finally, you have a helper. I have lost count of the number of times I have felt totally out of depth in various jobs. It's reassuring to know, isn't it? <laughs> However, the fact of the matter is, like, we have the Holy Spirit helping us. He's our strength. He enables you and he enables I to persevere. And the problem comes often when we forget about this reality. 
You know, so the best way to ensure that we don't forget this for me and for many of us, I believe, is just to wake up and make sure every morning before I turn on my phone, before the messages start pinging, coming through with all sorts of demands on me, I spend time abiding in Jesus. You know, this might be a bit of time praying. This might be a bit of time uh, listening to a, a devotional, reading a devotional, opening the Bible. It might be a combination of all of these things. But the lesson I've learned, and I often have to learn it the hard way, over and over again, is that the days go better when I put God first. And I spend a moment acknowledging the reality that, first and foremost, I am here to serve him. I'm here to give glory to him and him alone. Okay, so finally, what, what do, I said finally last time, didn't I? Last comment. What do you do if you hate your job? If you find your job just so tough and so challenging? Well, the encouragement to you firstly is that we can still, you can still create and shape even in a dead-end job even in a job you find so challenging. The passage we read from uh, Colossians earlier, Colossians 3, that was written to slaves. There isn't a more dead-end job than that. However, God has given us skills. He has given us giftings, and we are here to use them to glorify him. So if you're in a job you really dislike, well, maybe God's telling you to stay at that job. Maybe he's telling you to persevere, to create and shape in there. But he also might be asking you to, to search and to go and find one that better matches the skills and the giftings that he's given you. However, this is a fallacy that so many of us fall into. It's a lie that the world says all the time. Don't expect your job to fulfill you completely. Jesus is our only fulfillment. He really is. And don't expect to be instantly good at your job. It can take years before you really feel like you're making a difference. When we have the bath. Okay. So we were made to work. It's part of the original commission God gave to Adam and Eve. And then it was redeemed and restated as part of the Great Commission. And so we have our Father in heaven. He is cheering us on. He's cheering you on every step of the way because whatever we put our hands to, we are to do it for his glory. So let's boldly work with all of our might, knowing that he ultimately is our boss. Okay. Jesus. Okay. I'd love us to... I'd love us to pray for some specifics here. So there's some practical things I'd love us to pray for. Um, if you are in a tough job situation at the moment and you just, um, you just want God to speak into it, I'd love to pray specifically for that. And I, what we're going to do is just in a moment, we'll come to the front. Um, if you're comfortable with that, lay hands on people. If someone's wearing a mask and they've come to the front, could you uh, grab a mask? Just make sure we're honoring people's space and that and check people are happy to have their, uh, their hands, uh, your hands on them. Um, I'd also love to pray for people who need a job. Maybe your job's searching. Maybe you just haven't had any uh, success in that area. I'd love to pray specifically for that. And 
but limped into that, but not exclusive to that. I love to pray for people who are just feeling rejected. So it might be from a, from a, uh, a workplace situation. You know, you might feel like, you know, you, you've been past uh, a promotion opportunity, or it might be searching for work but you might just feel just rejected and a bit like an outcast. And I believe God wants to heal you uh, today and break in today. And finally, I love to pray for anyone who's not a Christian, but actually maybe through worship, through those incredible contributions, and maybe through something that's just been said, you feel, actually, I want to make that next step. So why don't we all stand? And for those of you who any of those things applies to, love for you to come to the front and as people come to the front there should be a few people as people come to the front um love people uh, members of grace church just to, uh follow them in and uh start praying for them quickly we've got five minutes or so to do this thank you so much for responding um there's still time to respond if you haven't yet come to the front and um yeah could we have grace churches just start to pray for these people as well